theme this year is based on Psalms chapter 1. If you want to read it later, I won't read it today, but it begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it starts talking about a blessed state of existence that supersedes just getting an occasional blessing. And Psalms 92, it goes on to talk about people who are planted in the house of the Lord and how they can flourish. And that word flourish, as I've pointed out, means to explode or to blossom like a flower, make steady progress, to prosper, to thrive, to fly high, to expand. That's right from the dictionary. And so we're talking about this year being planted, fruitful, and flourishing. And I'm talking today about flourishing because God is developing patience in me. Now look at somebody and say, is he doing that for you too? Patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And as I have said before, the reason the fruit of the Spirit is so vital is God and what Christianity is all about is that God is trying to put in us the character of God. We were made in his likeness and his image and we lost that in the fall theologically and man no longer was made or resembled the image of the God that had created him. And so doing, we lost our destiny. And what Christianity is all about, if you want to summarize it, let me just tell you most of what you learned in religion, most of what you learned even in your childhood is probably wrong. Because everybody was always concerned about religion is supposed to be telling you what you can and can't do and all of these other things. And they got so bogged down and stuff like that that they forgot that there was an overarching principle. And the principle was how could we live a life that was flourishing? In the garden before man fell, he lived a life of absolute abundance in every area, abundant love, abundant favor, abundant grace, abundant joy, abundant peace, abundant health. When he failed, he lost all of that. And what God is trying to do is get us back to where man has fallen. Since I've been gone a couple of weeks, I'll just take a moment and just kind of go over some of the things I talked about. I, one Sunday morning, I talked about from milk cartons to the throne room. I talked about Years ago, how they used to put the pictures of these kids that had been abducted on milk cartons. Those kids were stolen from their parents and, and told that their parents had either died or their parents were really bad people. So they were being rescued from their parents. And they were given false identities. And I said, isn't that exactly what Satan did in the garden? He came and stole us from God dangled his little candy out the window of his sedan and said, here, come eat of the fruit of this tree. And we got in the car with him, and we were taken for a ride. And he told us one of two things, depending upon which side of the issue you stand on, what's big today is that, is that daddy's dead. There is no God. And to listen to some people, the neo-atheists, and you are atheists, they're saying that daddy's mean. We need to be rescued from God. All of that grows out of the abduction of man and where man fell from in the garden. And what God's really trying to do is restore man 
to a place of abundance in his life, the thriving, abundant life, the flourishing life, living the extraordinarily blessed life that we were created to live. And so when God begins to work on us to develop the fruit of the Spirit within us, the fruit of the Spirit is the nature of God. All of us want this right there, the extraordinarily blessed life. The question then becomes one of how can we obtain that? And what I'm communicating in this series is that when you have the character or the nature of God inside, this takes place automatically. And this is why the fruit of the Spirit is so vital in our lives. It's not Christians trying to be who they aren't. It's God restoring us back to the place that we reflect His nature. And isn't that what Christians are supposed to be? They're supposed to be a reflection of Christ. And so patience is the virtue we've come to talk about today. And all of us here today, probably, I'm going to just make a confession on my part, but I think you can probably quietly at least nod your head or say amen or oh me or something. All of us probably need a little work in that regard. We might not all have it, but we all recognize patience and admire it when we see it, don't we? A man was in the grocery store when he noticed a harried and frayed mother pushing her three-year-old daughter down the aisles of the grocery store in the basket, and as they passed the cookie section, see if this sounds familiar. The little girl began to shout that she wanted her mom to buy her cookies, and the mother patiently said, no, Emma, no, Emma. The little girl began to cry and to whine and kick, and the mother smiled and said, be patient, Emma. We have just eight more aisles to go. Calm down and we'll get through this. He passed him again in the candy section and once again the mother was calmly telling the little girl no. He came up from uh, behind and, and saw them there and the mama was patiently saying just wait a few more minutes Emma and we'll be at the checkout stand and we'll go home and all of this ordeal will be over. He happened to walk up just as they were checking out and once again the little girl began to kick and cry and whine, and she wanted something at the display counter right there where you check out. And the mama just smiled and said, not now, Emma. We're almost done, and we will be home soon, I promise. Just be calm. And the man walked out of the store after he paid for his purchase to find the mother putting her daughter into the car that was parked right next to his. And he smiled and he said, I couldn't help but see how well you handled little Emma. And I want to compliment you on your patience and keeping her calm. And that's when the mother said, what do you mean? My daughter's name is Patricia. I'm Emma. Amen. Any of that sound familiar to you? Someone said patience is something you admire in the driver behind you, but not in the one in front of you. Amen. As believers, two things change us, and I want us to pray. Father, I ask that you will allow your spirit to open our understanding to your word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Two things change us as believers. His word and worship both change us for a particular reason. It is because they cause us to see God, and therefore both are of absolute vital importance in the life of any serious believer. 
Hebrews 11 and 27 says, By faith he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word endured in Greek is he was made strong. Our strength comes from seeing God in worship and in his word. What gives us the character, the backbone, the fortitude, the ability to stand when society is racing toward the cliff and about to fall off, dive off head first, is if we can see God and we see him in his word and in worship. And when we see him, that gives us joy. Because the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. It is 1 John 3 and 2, as I pointed out, that declares when we see him, then something else happens. We become like him. <laughs> and that's where the change occurs. You see him in the word, you see him in worship, and immediately there's an impact that affects your life. John says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what, what, what we shall be, but when we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when we see him, that's where the change occurs. Watch this now. Believers who serve God but never change to become more like him must not be seen God. They might be seeing religion. They might be seeing church doctrine. They might be seeing other members at church or the church choir or the pastor. But it's obvious they're not seeing God. Because if they were seeing Him, according to that statement in John, you can't resist the change that that begins to make in your life. They either then have a worship problem in that they're not entering God's presence or there is a learning problem in that their understanding of the Word of God is not increasing. Why do I say that? Because two things change us. Being in His presence, seeing Him in worship, or seeing Him in His Word. So, if we're going to church and we're not being transformed, one of two things is obviously occurring. We are either not seeing Him in worship Or we are not seeing him in his word. We're either not truly entering into worship or we're not making a priority of receiving his word. Why? Because being in his presence and seeing him in his word are both causative agents for transformation and activation. You get around him, you change. You don't remain the same. Somebody say amen. I love the 29th Psalms, and I'm just laying this out, and I'm going to get to what I want to talk about. In lofty and majestic and poetic verse, the 29th Psalms describes what happens to us or what happens to people when they experience or what happens to nature when they experience God speaking. Listen to this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. 
the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon, this is a country, leap like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. That's a mountain range there. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, which means humanity. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. When God speaks, even nature cannot help but react. This psalms is stating how utterly compelling God's word is. It demands a response. And not even the forces of nature can ignore it and remain unaffected. When God speaks to keep... Now watch this because I'm going somewhere. To keep his word from changing you, you must either remove yourself to where you cannot hear his word or literally harden your heart and reject his word when you do hear it. As did Pharaoh. Else, his word will change you too. So, now let's back up from this a step. Put it in perspective. Look at it with me. If you were the enemy then, what would you do? Because you know that the key to people living an extraordinarily blessed life is when they begin to develop within themselves the character of God. A new world is going to open up to them. And that new world is the result of the profundity profundity of the change that occurs when they worship and get in the Word. So what would you do if you was the enemy? Well, it's real simple. Really. I would stop people from worshiping or I'd stop them from hearing the word. And this is why every single one of us have to make a commitment to not be content with mere praise on Sunday morning, but we must have a personal devotional life. And as to this, every little thing keeping us out of the house of God, This is exactly what the enemy is wanting to have happen. You thought you just missed a Sunday in church. You didn't realize you missed a key that would have changed your life. Amen. Just like God's word is life-changing, his presence is equally life-changing. When Job looked at God, Job 42, 5 through 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I heard the word. (laughs) I've heard of you. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in ashes and in dust. The juxtapositioning of my humanity against the glory of God and his greatness in worship brings about a desire in me to want to change. So I need his word and I need his worship. I need to worship him. Same thing happened in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what was the result of that? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the middle of a people of unclean lips. Until you see God in worship or his word, you're content with a lot of junk that's robbing you of your life that you don't even notice is there. But when you see him, oh, 
different story. The result of these two experiences, that is the experience of Job and the experience of Isaiah, brought profound change in their life. In the case of Job, God healed him and blessed him and gave him twice as much as he ever had. There it is, living the extraordinarily blessed life. Isaiah was cleansed and given a commission to go and tell everyone about the power of the one he had been privileged to see in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And what happened with him was he stumbled right into his destiny. Because destiny's not found out there, it's found in him. In worship. And if you're searching for your purpose in life, there's no better way to find it than get close to the one that created you for a purpose. So we've been studying the change within us that occurs as God places his nature within us as we study his word and his worship. And in Galatians 5, and 23, the Bible talks about this as being the fruit of the Spirit. Now we come back to why I'm teaching this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And thus far we have looked at love, joy, and peace, and today we're going to look at long-suffering. And as you study this, I'll just give you a little hint here. As God begins to grow each one of these in you as a result of your personal encounters with God in worship and in studying His Word, guess what happens? The development of one automatically begins to lead to the development of the one that follows it. That is to say, when you have love, what does love always bring? Joy. And when you have joy, what does that always bring? Joy is always so fulfilling that it frees you then to what? Be at peace. Look at the story of Christ's birth. Jesus is a living expression of God's love. And when the angels heralded his birth to the shepherds, this is what they said. Love, Christ is born. Very next words out of their mouth is, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And then peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's the very progression that the fruit of the Spirit follows in its development in our life. Love, joy, brings peace, which in turn causes you to be more patient in your life with others. Come on, help me out. Because who's the guy that's always impatient? The guy who's already a boiling, seething cauldron of emotions. Had a fight with his wife on the way to work. Getting ready for work this morning. He gets on the freeway. He's a danger to everybody. Come on, help me out. You know what I'm talking about. And you wonder, whoa, what set that guy off? What did I do? You didn't do anything. He was already boiling over. Peace, when you have peace on the inside, enables you to be long-suffering. Otherwise, if you're boiling with frustration... At the slightest provocation, you tell somebody off. You say something you'll later regret. Something that hurts people you love. When you have peace, even if things don't go as fast or as well as they should, you can be long-suffering. Notice that. Meaning you can take it. You can put up with it. When you're long-suffering, guess what happens? If you're not a seething cauldron of emotions, you can now be kind rather than rude. 
Because the most rude people in the world are those that are already filled up to right there. And when you see somebody that's rude, trust me when I tell you, you're looking at the most unhappy man or woman you've probably met in a long while. Amen. And whenever you're long-suffering and you become kind, kindness becomes a way of life. And then you start doing good to other people. And a life of goodness causes you to develop integrity or faithfulness. And faithfulness makes you gentle. Amen. All of these things lead right into the other that follows. And having already looked at love, joy, and peace, the next fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul mentions is to be long-suffering. So I want to look at what it means. Because the original Greek word in the text for long-sufferings is macrothumia. You know what it means? The prefix macro, macro, if any of you guys are into photography, macro is the Greek word. That means large or long, macro photography, macro lens, right? The second part of the word is thumos, and it means temper. So what it means is long or large tempered. In other words, you are not short tempered. Know anybody that's short tempered? Come on, help me out. I'll just let you know they don't have much peace inside. And the reason they don't have much peace is they don't have much joy. And the reason they don't have much joy is they don't feel much love. You see where I'm coming from. How many of you really like these beautiful flowers we see out uh, in people's lawns? Landscapers put them out that are called impatience. You know what I'm talking about? You like those? How many of you have raised them before? Can I see your hands? Some of you do your lawn work. You know where it gets its word and patience from? They get their name from an unusual characteristic. When their seed pods mature, they blow up if you touch them and send their seeds flying several yards away. That's why they're called touch-me-nots. Look at this video, and I'll show you. Somebody's touching the seed pod. You see the seed erupt? Watch. There's another one that follows. I, 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 wanna, I want you to see that. That's why they call them touch-me-nots. Another very brief video now. What's this? Even a raindrop. A seed from another impatient that exploded. Touch-me-nots. I wonder how many touch-me-nots we have here today. Amen. Thus, to be long-suffering refers to patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs, And simply put, the fruit of being long-suffering is to patiently stay the course no matter what. It means to tolerate and persevere irrespective of circumstances and to still keep on believing. And remember, and I need to say this because by now you're probably saying, man, (laughs) I've been going through some rough places here. I'm doing my best, Pastor. Let me tell you, 
I need to remind you this is a fruit of the Spirit. That is, you need God's character in you to be able to do this. Amen. Which then goes back to why you need to worship. And why you need to be in the house of God to hear the word of God. Because it's only then that the profound change occurs in us that elevates us out of the carnality of our humanity. We need God within us to develop this. Why aren't people patient and long-suffering? There's a good question. And how does God go about developing this within us? The story of Private Channing Moss is an incredible account of heroism and courage triumphing over tragedy. Put him up there. This is Private Channing Moss. He and his unit were on patrol in Paktika province in eastern Afghanistan when they were attacked and came under heavy fire by insurgents. A live rocket propelled grenade struck him and lodged in his hip. He later said he smelled something smoking and looked down and discovered that a live RPG was sticking out of his abdomen. That's what an RPG is. That's the thing on the shoulder, you know. What's this? Look at this photo of the x-ray they took of him. Lodged inside of his hip. Of course, the blood loss was enormous. He started losing blood. And he completely went bled out, in fact. His heart stopped beating as medics worked on him. They could not give him CPR. Why? Because that thing inside would explode. So you know what the medics had to do? Even after his heart stopped beating, they had to be careful how they approached this. And so they donned body armor, just like uh, in the Hurt Locker. Y'all remember that movie about the bomb bomb disposal squad in, in Afghanistan and Iraq? They had to literally operate on this man with that kind of equipment. Hindering their efforts. They had to, they had to dress in the, the equipment of a bomb disposal expert. And the two surgeons had to cut off the fins of the grenade, carefully remove it from his body, and carry it outside. And when they got outside, it exploded. And this guy lived to tell the story. Here's a photo of him and his two surgeons. And his wife. Amen. As God grows his heart within us, guess what? He faces the same challenges in us that that the surgeons face with private chinning, moss. Because many of us have stuff in our heart that's ready to explode. We're like the impatience, the touch-me-nots. And we're just simmering with all of that frustration just beneath the surface. And one way I can help you understand this is how much does it take to set you off? Think about it for a moment. Amen. They could not restart Private Channing Moss's heart until the explosive was removed because if they had started doing CPR... It would have blown up and killed everybody around them. And similarly, the great physician can't start his heart in us 
as long as we've got things ready to explode and go off at any moment. Come on, somebody help me out. And do you know what is one of the worst and biggest of all of the things that makes us ready to explode? It's unforgiveness. Because you don't live in this world without somebody doing you wrong. Let me rephrase that. That's actually not correct. You don't live in this world without many somebodies doing you wrong. Even people that love you. And you know what happens? If you don't know how to get rid of that, it stays lodged inside of you, ready to go off and keeps the master physician, the healer of mankind, from growing his heart and doing spiritual CPR on some of us. Amen. The very first thing we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to look at the Word of God and see how do we address this? How do you grow a heart of patience? Paul gives us two insights that are enormously helpful to me, and I think they will be to you too. The first thing that Paul says you've got to do is learn to forgive like God. One reason people lack joy and do not have peace is because they have pain in their heart and unforgiveness within, and they struggle to be kind. They want to be kind, but somebody does something that provokes them that they never would have noticed if they were not already so sensitive. You ever hear the expression, I was burned? So that won't ever happen to me again. You ever, you ever hear it? You ever hear Use that expression yourself. I did not know what that meant until I was a young pastor just called here and got a phone call to go down to Herman Hospital. And there was a man that was in an industrial fire in one of our plants. He was a supervisor. And they had been cleaning a pump room. And what they were using to clean the pump room exploded into flames and burned him over 95, no, 96% of his body. The only place he didn't have third-degree burns were the soles of his feet and the belt that he wore around his waist. Everything else, third-degree burns. I went in, and they had a tent over that man. First of all, his head was as big as a basketball. And I went in and prayed for that poor guy. Family had called me, and I'd go back day after day to pray with him. He could not stand the weight of a sheet on his body because he had been burned. When you are burned... You can't stand things you never, under most circumstances, wouldn't even notice. Most of us go to bed at night, and the sheet, we don't even notice it's there. It just helps keep us warm or whatever, the blanket. But when you've been burned, the weight of a sheet is more than you can tolerate. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, Paul uses the same language that he uses in Galatians and talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but adds another component in Galatians in chapter 3. And he says this, we're told to put on long-suffering. There it is, that fruit of the Spirit again. Bearing with one another and what? Forgiving one another. Amen. If anyone has a complaint against another, anybody here have a complaint? Somebody done you wrong? Come on, help me out. Oh, you're acting like not, not me. Well, let me just fill in some blanks for you. I've got a list of complaints. I've had people do me wrong in the course of my life. Let me get real with you. Ever had anybody talk about you? 
make fun of you, question your integrity, your motives, ever have anybody go behind your back that you thought was your friend and, hey, friend. <laughs> ever have that happen? If you've got a complaint, this is what Paul says, that you can't be long-suffering. You've got to forgive one another. How? Even as Christ forgave you, so must you also do. What Paul is telling us is that to be long-suffering is to be able to forgive. So the first insight is you've got to learn to forgive like God. And the second insight is that to forgive like God, watch it now, because here it comes. You must decide to forgive before you are wronged. Because Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Before you and I were ever created, he already made up his mind to forgive. And if you wait till somebody does you wrong and then you have to wrestle through and struggle through all of this trying to be able to forgive, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. But if you make up your mind going into it, yeah, somebody's not going to do me right. That's life. But I choose to forgive and be like God. Amen. And then don't get off that position. Keep it there. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen. Even though we're believers, we still do wrong. We have this treasure in vessels of clay. Come on, help me. Look at what the New Living Translation says. We now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. On your best day as a believer, you still live. The power of the Holy Spirit still resides inside of clay. Amen. The second thing that this verse right here points out, this verse points out two things. Our vessels are very fragile, yours and mine. The strongest believer within himself is still weak. But the second thing it points out is that patience or long-suffering is a gift of the Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Your vessel will never get strong enough by itself. You need God inside of you. You need His grace. You need His power at work in your life, which is, again, why you have to worship, <laughs> which is why you have to hear the Word, because no change if there's no Word and no worship. Well, somebody ought to say amen. Paul then goes on, and I'm just about done, to describe how as believers we will face challenges in life. That's the nature of the fallen world. Listen to what he says in, the very, in these verses. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. We have God's grace even though we ourselves are broken vessels of clay that carries this treasure of the Holy Spirit within us. We can draw from His grace. And I, I want you to understand 
that when you choose to forgive before you are wrong, that is when you're becoming like God. Because real love doesn't keep a list of the things that people did against you. 1 Corinthians 13. Amen. Real love doesn't keep score. First time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. Or my favorite quote from the guy who lived many years ago, Mark Twain. You remember him. The cat ever sits on a hot stove, he'll never sit on a hot stove again. But neither will he sit on a cold one either. Amen. That's the truth. I was raised with cats. <laughs> hey, as some of us are just that, that skittish. And you know what it does? It hinders us in our relationship. So we get right back to that thing called love. And because somebody did us wrong, we don't forgive. And because we can't forgive, there's a love deficit now in our lives. And that in turn robs us of our joy, leaves us without peace. And what happens? We're impatient, and it all goes full circle. If you want to know real love and real joy and real peace, you have to know how to forgive. You can't be one of these touch-me-nots. As soon as something touches you, blow up. You ever have that happen? Just out of curiosity, anybody here have, ever have anybody just blow up on you, and you wonder, like, what? Now a much more penetrating question. Have you ever blown up on somebody? And they wondered, what? Amen. Paul then mentions three things that will help us to develop patience. The first is don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. These are the verses that follow the verses where he talked about we're hard pressed on every side, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. He said, we'd steal in the middle of this, don't lose heart. For though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is renewed day by day. How do you get that inward man renewed? I started by telling you, worship and the Word. Somebody say, worship and the Word. Tell somebody, worship and the Word. It's like having flat tires on the one side of your car while the other side is all aired up. You're not going anywhere if all you do is worship, but there's no word. And vice versa. You're not going anywhere if you got all the word, but don't worship. It requires both. Amen. The second thing is keep your perspectives right. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light, say it with me, our light. Come on, help me out. Say it, our light. Oh, we don't like that. You don't know what I'm going through. How dare you say that our light affliction? I didn't say it. Paul did. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Keep your perspectives right. 
What you are facing may be irritating. It might even be painful and possibly even devastating. But it will not last forever. The good news is it's not going to last forever. Amen. You will recover. Look at your neighbor and say you will recover. Amen. And you know what the biblical principle is? Is that in God, whatever you face can only make you better it works glory for you. Whatever you're going through is going to work glory for you. That's because when you connect with God, listen, it's not the end. No matter what happens or, fall, or how things fall apart that you were counting on or who lets you down or disappoints you, in God, no matter how bad things get, watch this now, if you serve and honor Him, life is always moving in a direction called better. Tell somebody my life is moving toward better right now. That's because as he develops in you his heart, guess what? This is where you're going. Living the extraordinarily blessed life. And finally, and number three, three things that Paul gives us to help us learn how to develop patience is look beyond the moment. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are, say it with me, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. You endure as seeing him who is invisible. So what do you do when everything falls apart? Worship and word. Worship and word. Worship and word. Worship and the word. It recalibrates you. Amen. Look beyond the moment. Three things. Don't lose heart. Keep your perspectives right. And look beyond the moment. If you only focus on what someone is doing that upsets you. Or what is happening in your life at this season, you can't help but make comparisons about what you think people should be doing or what you think should be happening in your life. And it's these comparisons that get us down. Well, at this point in my marriage, I ought to be here, here. At this point, at this job, it ought to be this point. Yeah. You start doing that, and I promise you, you're going to become unhappy. Look beyond the moment. In God, it cannot help but get better. Let the Holy Spirit do some divine surgery. The enemy, well, Paul called them fiery darts. Today's technology would be RPGs. Amen. The enemy's shooting at you right now. And he's going to see to it that in the course of your life, even this week, somebody's going to upset you. Right now, make a decision to say, I forgive, no matter what happens. Here's why. And I'm done. If you don't forgive, does it change one thing? No. Does it stop them? Does it arrest them in their tracks? Oh, gee, I shouldn't have done that. Do they come up to you and say, you know, I don't know what got a hold. No, 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 no. If you choose not to forgive them, it doesn't make it go away. But you know what forgiveness is? 
It's a gift to yourself. Amen. Or like Nelson Mandela said, carrying unforgiveness in your heart and hoping for revenge or to get even is like drinking poison and waiting for your neighbor to die. 